Good morning, everyone. Man, it's good to see you guys this morning. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, I hope you enjoyed being able to sing this morning. Amen? Amen? That was good. I'm excited about what God is doing. We have some incredible young interns coming up, wouldn't you say? Praise God. That's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's good to clap. That's fine. Yeah. Thankful for these guys. Uh, hey, um, we are starting a brand new series called Mirror Images, and I have a bit of a challenge for you that I think you need to keep in mind through this series. Um, this series is really going to deal with some pretty tough issues, some issues that our culture is wrestling with. Um, I'll be honest with you, uh, some issues that our culture and maybe even you here today would, would strongly disagree with how we will, you know, talk about the answers to these questions. And so my challenge to you is this. Each week is going to build upon the week before. And we will not be able to answer every question or every issue that we're going to talk about all in one week. In fact, I'm pretty sure we won't be able to unpack all of it in, in even five weeks. But we want to view this as a start to a conversation. And so if one of the topics or multiple of the topics that we talk about over the next couple of weeks strikes you or hits home or is something that is very personal for you, I hope that you would first and foremost let me know, let us know, so that we can continue to have a conversation, okay? Now, you've surely noticed that there are conversations in our culture that are very divisive. Anybody seen that? Whew, Okay. Anybody entered into the online realm uh, for some of these conversations? That's a lot of fun, right? Okay. So here's where I want to start this morning. I want to start with a question and unpack some of where this kind of goes. Okay, here, here's the question. How do we determine what we can and can't do? I could ask this question a lot of ways. How do you determine what you should or should not do? How do you know, this is really a question of, how do you know what's right and what's wrong? Or maybe we could go like this, can we know what is right and what is wrong? Is there right and wrong? These are conversations that our culture are having on every front. There are a number of young people sitting in this room today who know this. They know the conversations that are taking place in their schools, taking place with their peers, taking place among their friends and in the hallways and classrooms. Questions about what is right or wrong with who I can or can't date. Questions about who am I? Does my biological sex determine my gender? These are real questions. Now, some of you just went, oh, my word, where in the world are we going? Time out, okay? <laughs> Time out for a minute, okay? 
I want you to know that in the coming weeks, we are going, we are going to dive into those things. We will give you parents a kind of a PG-13 warning as we walk into those things because I realize that some of those might be conversations that you want to be very careful how you approach as parents. But this week, we're going to start by laying some, just some groundwork as to how we can, you know, begin to formulate an idea of what is true, what is not, what is right, what is wrong. Over the years, as I've followed and engaged this conversation, I've been pastoring now for 23 years, I've watched this conversation, I've had to teach on this conversation a number of times, and over the years, I've seen uh, a number of quotes that I've just gone, hmm, hmm. I want to share a couple of them with you. I came across a while back a British journalist who was sharing her opinions on the ideas around euthanasia. Are you familiar with euthanasia? Okay. She wrote this. She said, we just have far too many old people. Shocking, isn't it? Hold on a second. It's shocking, isn't it? We just have far too many old people. It's ridiculous to be living in a country where we can put dogs to sleep, but not people. Is that shocking to you? Let me show you the rest of what she said. She said this. In answering the question, well, what do you propose? She said this. Easy. Euthanasia vans. Just like ice cream vans that would come to your home. They might even have a nice little tune they'd play. Here's the thing. I I, I know this is hard. She's not joking. She's not joking. How how did she arrive? Here's the thing. How did she arrive at that conclusion? Okay? Let me show you another one, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Let me show you another one. This came from a woman named Camille Paglia. She's written several. She's an American author. She's written several books on... on, uh, uh, Feminism and sexuality, and she said this, fate, not God, has given us this flesh. We have absolute claim to our bodies, and we may do with them as we see fit. How did she arrive at that conclusion? How did she get there? She wrestled with the same question that you and I are going to wrestle with today, this question of how do we determine what we can and cannot do? And I'll tell you, they arrived there somehow. They arrived there through a lens, something that they look through that helps them determine who they are, where they came from, how they got here, what, what is right and what's wrong. This is, frankly, friends, this is what we call a worldview. Ever heard that term before, a worldview? Okay. A worldview is a lens that helps you determine, should I, should, I, should I or should I not do this? Should I or should I not move in with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Should I or should I not engage in intercourse? Should I or should I not speak to someone this way? Should I or should I not, and, and, and I'm, pardon me, but should I or should I not put grandma or grandpa down? These are the questions. 
And I know this is hard, and I, but these are real life questions. So how do you determine a worldview? Well, because here's the thing. We live in a world where what's being said is that, hey, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, right? And we need to wrestle with, is that right? Is it wrong? How do you determine? There's five questions that I think go into determining a worldview. Five, you know, what would seem to be very simple questions, but they're not simple. Here are the five questions. Number one, how did I get here? In other words, question of origin. How did I get here? Question number two, who am I? Who am I? What's my identity? Question number three, why am I here? This is a question of purpose. Question number four, how do I determine what's true or right? This is a question of authority. This is a question of of truth. How do I know what's right and what is wrong? And then question number five, where am I going? Or in other words, what does the future hold? These five questions. Each of you, whether you know it or not, you've, you've answered these questions in some way, shape, or form. You have a worldview. You already have one. It's part of why you gasped at some of what was read. Because what happened is your worldview came up against someone else's worldview. What now? What now? What I want to do today is walk through three truths that I believe help us build a biblical Christian worldview. I realize that in a gathering like this, there may be people here that say, I'm not sure that's my worldview. That's okay. I hope you'll hear me out. I hope you'll check it for yourself. I hope you'll look into it and, 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 and wrestle through it and take it apart and, and, and see whether or not it works. But these three truths, listen, if you are going to claim to have a relationship with God and follow God and, and aim to make you know, Jesus the leader of your life, these three truths must be anchored in your soul. Otherwise, everything's free and clear, and you can do kind of whatever you want. Fate, not God, will be in charge. Here's the three truths. Number one, God is the source of life. God is the source of life. A biblical Christian worldview, whether it's yours or not, starts there. It starts with the idea that we didn't just show up. We didn't just appear. We didn't, we didn't uh, evolve. God put us here. In fact, the scripture is more clear than just that. It talks about how God put us here. In Genesis chapter 1, here's what it says. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we can see, everything that is, God made it. Surely many of you have seen uh, pictures of what the Hubble telescope has, has, has brought back to us. And we could show you picture after picture. The reality is everything that you could ever see as far as you can go into space, God made it. 
And then in verse 2, it goes on and says this. Now the earth was formless. This, this thing that we now inhabit, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface, surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the beginning of an explanation of how everything came to be. God spoke, and it happened. God said, let there be vegetation. There was vegetation. God said, let the waters be separated, and it was done. God said, let there be land, and it occurred. God said, let there be animals that that roam about on the land, and it occurred. God said, let there be fish that fill the waters, and it occurred. And then, at the culmination of creation, God did this. In Genesis chapter 1, and verse 26, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, here's the thing. We're gonna, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I'll spend a little bit of time today because we are going to camp in the coming weeks in these verses. We are going to take them and unpack them and tear them apart and expound on them for, through, through other passages of Scripture as well. But these passages are foundational. The bottom line is God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And, and unfortunately, what I've seen happen over and over is rather than recognizing that we are made in the image of God, we try to make God in our image. We try to make God fit into our boxes. But God is the source of life, not vice versa. God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then in verse 27, he continues on and he says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In case you missed it the first time, mankind, male and female, are made in the image of God. You can go to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2 which is another explanation. It's not two creation accounts. They're not different accounts. It's just explaining you know, the same thing from two different points of view. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we're, we're told this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In other words, what this is saying is that God made us He spoke life into existence. He is the source of all life, every piece of it. God created it. He made it. Now, what what does that have to do with a worldview? Here's where the rubber meets the road. If God made us, then he gets to tell us a couple of things, okay? And this is big. Here's what he gets to tell us. He gets to tell us who we are, and he gets to tell us what we're supposed to do. I, I would add to that, he would tell you what your purpose is. He gets to tell you why you're here. He gets to tell you what the future is going to look like. If God made me, then I am responsible to him. And that has a pretty big impact on my worldview. It's going to impact how I think about my body. 
It's going to impact how I think about other people. It's going to impact how I think about the value of life and what I'm here for and what I'm supposed to do. And it's also going to impact how I know what is true and right and good versus what is false and wrong and sinful. If God made me. If God made us, he gets to tell us a bunch of things. Now, the text is quite clear that you and I, we were made in the image of God. It's almost as if God made us to reflect him. Anybody ever seen a mirror before? I'm sorry that my mirror is already broken, but I had a little mishap this morning. What does a mirror do? A mirror is designed to reflect. It's designed to show me the truth, (laughs) whether I like it or not, uh, about what's going on here. And when the scripture says that you and I were made in the image of God, what he's saying is we were were designed to reflect him, to show his, his character, his nature, to show who he is, and to reflect it well. A mirror that's dirty or a mirror that has distortions doesn't reflect well. In fact, it causes you to see things that really aren't there. What the very next chapter, if we move on from Genesis chapter 2, what the very next chapter of Scripture tells us is that very early on in the history of humanity, men and women male and female, just like you and me, who were made to reflect the image of God, ended up looking like this. Broken reflections that don't quite fully reflect the truth. Now, if we stayed there That's problematic. If we stayed there, boy, I got to tell you something, there's not a whole lot of hope. That's why the conversation about what has God done about it, that's where we're going to end today. But the reality is that now we live in a broken world where things don't reflect God the way they were meant to. Things don't work out and life doesn't go the way it was designed to go. Why? Because it's almost like we're living in a fun house of mirrors where things don't look the way they were supposed to look. You've experienced that, haven't you? Ever experienced pain? It's because of this. Ever experienced heartache? It's because of this. Ever experienced shame? It's because of this. Ever experienced the consequences of actions? It's... Well, you can say it because of this. So what do we do? If God is the source of life, what now? Where do we turn when we realize that things are broken and not going well? Well, this is where the second foundational truth comes in. You need to know this. The Bible is the authority for life. I grew up, can anybody identify with this? I I grew up 
going to church. Um, and I remember as a little kid, I thought it was so cool. We sang all the songs. We did all, you know, we had our own little children's church and all of that was really good. But then as I, as I got older and I became a teenager and I started processing things on my own and I remember sitting in, in pews. I went, we went to a pretty traditional church. You know, we had the, the pews and everything and we'd sing the hymns. And I remember sitting there thinking, man alive, all God is is a giant fun hater. Really? He just wants to keep me from doing anything fun. Thankfully, as I've grown and matured and come to realize some things, what I've learned is this. When God says no, when God says don't, he's also saying don't hurt yourself. He's trying to protect us. He's showing us the way that things were meant to be. He's showing us the way to go because, you know, when there's a lot of different paths and you could choose any number of paths, well, guess what? Not every path leads to the same outcome. Do you understand that? And so God is trying to guide and protect us. And the Bible is how God speaks to us and he gives us clarity on what is right and what is wrong. And he gives us insight into how we should live in fact, a man named Paul wrote a letter to one of his protégés, an, an intern, so to speak. And he said to him in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, he says this, All scripture, every bit of it is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Now here's the thing. I understand that the scripture can be a little bit overwhelming can be divided largely in, in, in big sections kind of into two. You've got an Old Testament and a New Testament can be divided more uh, from there into 66 different individual books, okay? The reality is every single piece of it, God has spirated or breathed it into existence, speaking to us. And why does he do that? Here's why. Because he wants to teach us. He wants us to know. He wants you to know if there is a right or wrong in questions of your sexuality. Question, he wants you to know if there is a right or wrong with questions about the sanctity of life. Questions about our gender and, and authority and, 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 and marriage and every aspect of life. Is there a right or wrong? Well, he teaches us. And not only that, he loves us enough to tell us no. To rebuke us. He loves you enough to tell you you're wrong. He loves me enough to tell me when I'm wrong. And he corrects us and he trains us. He shows us the right way to go. Why? Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now here's the thing. How much do you have to dislike someone to not warn them when they're heading in a dangerous direction. Let me ask you that again. How much do you have to dislike someone when you know and you can see that they're clearly headed to a crash or they're clearly headed to destruction and you stand there on the sideline and keep silent? How much do you have to dislike someone? The reality is God has not kept silent. It may not be popular, it may not be what I like. It may not feel good, but he has not kept silent. He's told us the truth. 
I love what one pastor, a guy named Jeff Vines, had to say. He said this, if a pastor really loves you, he will not affirm what scripture teaches will not prosper you but harm you. Do you you know what he's saying? He will not tell you, oh, you're fine, it's okay, if you are going against what the scripture warns you not to do. And I realize that some of what we're going to enter into in the next four weeks after this week may be uncomfortable. But we do love you. We want to have a conversation. And we are going to point you to what God's word does say. So what do we need to know? We need to know that God is the source of life. We need to know also very clearly that the Bible The scripture is the authority. It is through the word that God equips us for every good work. He prepares us for every portion of life. He speaks into questions about dating. He speaks into questions about, you know, the future. He speaks into questions about what you should do with your body. He speaks into questions about marriage and sexuality and gender and you name it. It's all there. Third. And here, before I share this with you, unfortunately, I think many people, many Christians would amen or, or like the first two points and skip over this one, but this one is foundational. Grace and truth is our approach to life. Grace And truth is our approach to life. The truth is not a club to be wielded and beat other people across the head with. That's not what it's there for. Grace and truth is our approach. Over the five weeks of the series, we're going to look at at Colossians 4 a number of times. You're going to get used to this passage We're going to look at verses 2 through 6 several times, but I want you to see just verses 5 and 6 here today. Verse 5 says this, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Who's he talking about as far as outsiders? People who aren't there yet, people who don't believe yet, people who, who aren't here yet. How are we to act towards them? Wise. We're to, we're to come with grace and love. How many times have I seen Christians try to shout down the world and in the process alienate them from the very people that Jesus sent us to pursue? Be wise. Be wise in the way you speak online. Be wise in the way that you disagree. Be wise in the way that you have a conversation. Because guess what? Someone's eternal soul matters more than whether or not they agree with you on your sexual ethic. They need to know Jesus. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Boy, how the last three years would have looked different 
Boy, how things could have looked different if Christians were entering into public conversations with words that are full of grace. Words that are full of love for the person, not just a desire to be right. Let us be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. And this is part of the reason that we would enter into this conversation at this particular moment. We want you to know what the scripture says. We want you to be prepared. But I can't even confidently do that until you understand that the first thing you need to know is grace and truth. Let your conversations be always full of grace. See, here's the thing. I am confident of this, that simply teaching the word or, or having a conversation about the Bible or reading it or sharing it with somebody else, if you share what God's word has to say, if you share the gospel, the gospel will be offensive. People will trip up on it but I don't have to be offensive. And neither do you. So here's the thing. The gospel is offensive. I better not be. It's imperative. So what do we do? I told you a little bit earlier that I believe there is a solution for this broken mess. I believe that God went on a rescue mission to do something about putting these pieces all back together and restoring them. And they may not fully and finally be restored until the end of time, but God is in the process of working it out and putting it all back together. And it started with one man. His name is Jesus. In John chapter 1, we read about him. Here's what it says. Verse 1, in the beginning, oh, wait a minute, we just read that, Genesis 1. Hmm. I think it's there for a reason to make us perk up and go, wait a minute, I remember what happened in the beginning. God spoke everything into existence. He created us in the image of God, and then sin entered into the world, and everything started to fall apart. What now? Hmm. In the beginning was the word. Okay, that's interesting. What's that? And the word was with God. Okay, whatever it is, it was with God. And the word was God. Hmm, it's interesting. Verses two and three go on and say this. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. So whoever we're talking about and whatever we're talking about has creation capability. He spoke it into existence. He was there. Right? Verse 4 and 5 goes on. In him was life. Okay? He is the source of life. It, the word, whatever this is, it is the source of life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What's that? That's, that's showing us what is good and true and right. Where does that come from? It comes from this the word, whatever John is talking about. 
You can keep going, but I'll, I'll take you to the verse that, that is the great reveal. The great reveal shows up in John chapter 1 and verse 14, and here's what it says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is none other than Jesus. And why did he come? He came because I'm like that. And so are you. And so is the rest of the watching world, whether they agree with us or like us or dislike us, but Jesus came for them too. And here's the thing. Jesus is the one who restores us and begins to pick up the pieces. He's the one who, who stepped in and took it all upon himself, all of the brokenness, and he started bit by bit putting it back together. If you will trust him, he will restore you. Now back to our worldview. Again, I told you this is not going to unpack everything in one week, so I want to leave you with some questions for you to unpack for yourself. If you're taking notes, I urge you write these down or take a picture when I have all of them up here. These are the questions that I want you to wrestle with. Question number one. Is your worldview, the lens through which you make decisions, is your worldview filtered through the Bible, or is your worldview filtering the Bible? Are you making decisions based on what God's word says, or are you coming to God's word and saying, uh, I don't like that, cutting that out? People have done it, twisting it, shaping it. Question number two, is your testimony towards outsiders helpful to them coming to faith in Jesus? Or would they say, you know what? That guy's just a jerk. Hmm. I have a hard time reading the scriptures and the testimony about Jesus and hearing anybody say that guy's just a jerk, including his enemies. See, the people the least like Jesus liked Jesus. <laughs> what do they think about us? Is your testimony towards outsiders helpful to them coming to faith in Jesus? Question number three is this. Are your conversations full of grace and anchored in the truth? Or are they full of truth and anchored in your fear or anger or bitterness? Question number four. Are you appropriately prepared to give answers for your beliefs? And if not, okay. We're going to try to resource you. In fact, throughout this series, we're going to ref reference a number of, of resources. If you would like to look at these resources, you can go to this website. It's uh, at our bridgewater.church slash mirror, and you can find a number of resources on the topics that we are going to talk about. Because the reality is, you know, we have to dig in and study and know and understand what's happening culturally and also know the word, the word of God to be able to respond 
biblically. Those are the things I'm going to ask you to consider. As we go into the next few weeks, there will be hard things. But if you're ready and willing to let the word of God shape your worldview, I think you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you that you give us clarity and guidance and thank you that you haven't left us to our own devices. God, I know that if I try to figure everything out on my own, I tend to mess things up and make them worse. I am so thankful that you have loved us enough to give us a clear explanation of how I got here, who I am, why I'm here, what is true, and what the future holds. God, please help me to rest in what you say. And for those who are here today that are going, oh, I don't agree. God, I pray that we would be able to learn from each other. I pray that we'd be able to enter into conversations together and know that even if we disagree, that we value each other because we're both made in the image of God. I pray in Jesus' name.